Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Parkinson's Recovery. This is Robert Rogers. My guest today is Nan, who has quite a fascinating story to tell about what she has done in response to the symptoms that she is currently encountering that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. We have some uh, pre-recorded segments of the show today with Nan, but Nan is also with us live. And basically what that means is you can call in to a toll-free number and talk with her now. And that toll-free number is 877-590-0733. So call in at any time and flag that you'd like to be able to talk with her, and I would be delighted to connect you with her today. I'm Robin Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Nan from Seattle, and what I'd like to be able to do is to ask Nan to tell you, our listeners, about herself. So, Nan, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. So tell us about yourself. Well, I'm 65 years old. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in February of '08. I've ridden on the Ragbri ride across Iowa twice with uh, John Carlin, who'll be your other guest. Um, let's see, I'm a retired anthropologist from the University of Washington. I was not ever a remarkable athlete in any sense of the term uh, until I started riding the bike with Parkinson's, and I'm much stronger now than I ever was and uh, really in much better shape. When you were first diagnosed, what were your symptoms? I uh, definitely had a tremor, was very weak. Um, I have a hiking group that I go out with each week, and they, uh, the women are generally older than I am, and they were beating me, you know, I, much stronger than I am. I'm usually a pretty good hiker, uh, and I just couldn't keep up. I was tired. Uh, I couldn't move my neck more than a 90-degree uh, radius. Um, I was shuffling. I was stumbling. I was losing my balance a bit. Um my arm hung stiff at my side, and, and my hand was clenched. Those were physical characteristics. Uh, mentally, I was having trouble keeping track of what was going on, what had happened. Um, I got to the point where I could read. I, could, I, mean, I have a Ph.D., and I, I read a lot. And I could decode words, but I couldn't remember what I read, and that was really, really frightening. Um, I would go to a party, and I couldn't follow two conversations at once, which, you know, was very unusual for me. And so I started wanting to be isolated because um, it was just embarrassing. And I was really working hard at covering up these symptoms. So you decided there must be something up and then decided, I guess, to go to your doctor? Well, I actually wrote in my journal in January of '08. Uh, I wish this uh, tremor would stop. I wish this shaking would stop. It's just like I've got Parkinson's or something. And then in February, I was with my hiking group, and one of them is married to a doctor, and so I started asking her about the shaking. She says, well, actually, my husband's the doctor, not me. Uh, Why don't you go to your doctor? So I went, and um, my doctor said I had Parkinsonian symptoms but not Parkinson's and set me up for uh, an appointment with a movement disorder specialist for the next month, but I was not willing to wait, so I called a friend of mine who is a retired movement disorder specialist here in Seattle, 
And she came over the next day and walked in the door and followed me about 10 steps and said, you have Parkinson's. And that was that. And then what happened after that? Did you uh, talk with uh, her about getting medications or not, or what was the next step? Well, um, I was in emotional shock, I think, would be the next step. Um, she stayed for about an hour and, and talked to me. I said, don't I get to do any parlor tricks or anything? And she said, yeah, let's do all the parlor tricks. And it was obvious to me that I failed. And then my husband came home after about an hour, so we went through all the whole story all over again. So at least I heard it twice in one day, which was pretty helpful. Um, she suggested that I go to a certain doctor, and it was the same doctor that they, my original doctor had set up the appointment with. So I, I'm really lucky to be with one of the top doctors in Seattle. That's very, you know, very much in my favor. Um, and it didn't hurt that the two doctors were personal friends too, because I, I think I'd, I always get really nice treatment. I think he gives everybody really nice treatment, but um, I have that extra little edge, maybe. Um, I went to see uh, him the, the next month, and uh, he put me on Nupro, which was great. I had this wonderful reaction to the patch, and a week later it was pulled from the market. So I was devastated. Um, then he put me on Mirapex, and I had really strong negative reactions to Mirapex. was on that for several months thinking that, you know, I didn't know it was the Parkinson's or the Mirapex that I was reacting to. And then finally uh, we switched over to Requip XL. Um, and that's been really just fine for me. But we started out at, at 8 milligrams, and then I got into the uh, biking program. I'm now down to 4 milligrams, and that's pretty cool that I can reduce my medications because I bike. So you mentioned biking program. Tell everybody about that. This is a fabulous uh, piece of news that needs to be shared with everybody. Um, several years ago, Dr. Jay Alberts from the Cleveland Clinic uh, went on RAGRI. He actually grew up in Iowa, and he became a neuroscientist. So he's not a medical doctor, but he's a neuroscientist. He was working at Emory, and uh, he... Friends, are you still there? Yeah. Okay, he convinced some of his friends to uh, go ride RAGRI. And one of the um, people was to a woman who had Parkinson's, so they decided, that couple decided they would go, but they would, in fact, uh, ride a tandem. Unfortunately, they'd never ridden a tandem before, so they got on the bike and they fell off, and they got on the bike and they fell off, and Jay looked at them, and, and this is Dr. Alberts, looked at them and said, you know, this marriage is going to be in jeopardy after a week of riding this tandem. He said, I ride a tandem, so I'll ride the front, and uh, uh, Kathy can ride behind. So about halfway through the trip, Kathy said, something is really changing with my symptoms. And by the her handwriting was back to normal, which was really weird. So Jay took those two points and went back and set up a research study, realized that she'd been riding at 80 to 90 RPM for, you know, day after day, hour after hour. And uh, he set up a research study where he had 12 patients. Six of them were riding at 80 to 90 RPM on a, a tandem, so it was forced pace cycling because they couldn't do it on their own. And the others were riding at their normal pace, which was about 50, 55 RPM. Everybody was kept within the same heart rate parameters. And at the end of eight weeks, the people in the test group had a 35% average of 35% reduction in their symptoms. Wow. Um, just by biking. That was the only variable was this cadence in staying within 60 to 80% of one's maximum uh, heart rate. So that was pretty cool. Um, 
He published a paper in neuroscience in January of 2009. Uh, he was interviewed on national TV during the Republican Convention of 2008. And one of our friends saw that interview and uh, forwarded it, you know, the clip to us. Um, I contacted Jay and said, you know, I'd like to do this. Um, I didn't have a tandem or, any, you know, there was no program here or anything like that, but at least I had the parameters, the protocols of what I was supposed to do. So I got on my bike and started to ride. Well, then Dr. Alberts uh, asked my husband and I if we'd like to ride Ragbri across Iowa. And I said, oh, of course, that would be just great. Then I started thinking about it and thought, you know, I'm 62 years old. I've never ridden a bike more than 30 or 40 miles in a day and certainly not in consecutive days. What was I thinking about? <laughs> I must be out of my mind. So I said, well, I've got to practice then. So I got on my road bike and I started riding from anywhere from an hour and a half to four hours, four to six days a week, um, keeping up that, that high cadence and keeping within my heart rate zone, but obviously extending the time a lot longer than he had done in the study. Amazingly enough, about three and a half weeks later, I was walking along with my dogs. I looked down and my arm was swinging and my hand was unclenched. I turned to look over at the house across the street, and I could rotate my neck more than 180 degrees, just like a normal human being. Oh. Uh, I was standing up straight. There was no more shuffling. I mean, my symptoms were gone for all practical purposes. A um, couple weeks later, I went to see my doctor, and he said to me, if I didn't know you had Parkinson's, I wouldn't know you had Parkinson's. Oh, what a wonderful thing to hear. And this is just from biking. Um, I, I just, you know, when I, when this happened, when I was walking the dogs, and I realized what it changed, that I'd had this, it was like a, a light switch off and on. Um, I just stood there on the sidewalk and cried and thought, my, my word, you know, this is, this is something, this is a story to tell. This is very important. So, um, you know, rode Rag Bry and was successful with that, rode it again this year, was successful with that, and now we're uh, working to help other programs start up in the area. So one of the hospitals has contacted me, and they finished the first pilot program um, of four patients, and now the second pilot program of four patients is going through their program. The first group is now off on solo bikes, um, you know, getting better. Uh, it's not a cure, but it certainly mitigates the symptoms of Parkinson's for, for those of us who've tried it. Have you then become a consultant to the hospitals and helping them set up these programs? Yeah. How absolutely wonderful. Well, one hospital contacted me, the first hospital contacted me and said, you know, we've heard about you. Would you help us set up a program? So uh, I've had just an amazing response, Robert. I contacted uh, some friends, first of all, and said, you know, how do you think I should go about getting money for building tandems because they're not cheap? And within minutes, I had almost $10,000 raised. These people just sent back and said, where should we write the checks? And these were just friends. I wasn't asking for money. I was asking for advice on how to raise money. Um, contacted people in the biking community, and it's just amazing. It's wonderful. It's heartwarming, the response of these people who... Uh, want to be captains on the bikes, be ride the front end of the bike and have the patients be the stokers on the back end. It's like we, you know, we're athletes. We can do something to help these people with Parkinson's. You've got to be kidding. And we can do it and, and help ourselves too. They, the response of the captains has been almost as heartwarming as the response of the patients. Um, they've just bonded beautifully. 
Often the captains are young people, really strong riders, and the Parkinson's patients are a little older. So there's this whole cross-generational thing that's going on. Um, it's, it's really quite beautiful to see. It is indeed. Well, you described the reality that you did not have symptoms. Was that a startling reality, or is the truth that as you were biking every day for one and a half to four hours, four days a week, that gradually the symptoms were improving, and then all of a sudden you just realized, oh, I don't have any symptoms? Or was it the case that all of a sudden the symptoms vanished in a flash? That's a great question, and I've gone back through my journal to see if I could get an answer to that. And it seems to me that it was more like an off-and-on switch, that, uh, and yet that seems impossible, that it must have been a gradual recovery that I just you know, looked down and saw my arms swinging and realized that I could do these things. I mean, I couldn't put on a seatbelt. To turn my body to reach over and, and grab the seatbelt from the driver's position was so painful. And, you know, now I don't even think about it. Um, it's just, everything just changed quite quickly. Of course, three and a half weeks is not a long time to be working on something either. Well, but there was one and a half to four hours, four times a week, so you really did have a strong commitment to actually do the biking. I was terrified I couldn't get across Iowa, and I was going to embarrass myself and everybody else. It's going to end up in the wagon, you know. <laughs> the rag ride is all the way across Iowa, right? I mean, it's a... 450 it's a, miles. It's a big commitment to do that race, and how many days does it take? It takes a week. It was four, The first one was 450 miles with a 22,500-foot elevation gain, and I think they, they lied a little bit about the mileage on the second year, and it was a lot longer than what they said it was. Oh, no. You mean they did a different the, route the second year? Uh, oh, every year they do a different route. You know, it's a big deal in Iowa you know, to be part of the rag route. I mean, it's a wonderful fundraiser for the towns. You've got you know, thousands of riders coming through who are hungry and uh, need water and, and coffee or whatever, so everybody is selling something for you. It, it's just a great event wonderful thing. It sounds totally fun to participate in that. But the idea of, you know, getting on a bike and, and riding so far and, and thinking, you know, here I am, 62, I've got Parkinson's, and I'm going to ride across Iowa, you've got to be kidding. So that sort of fear of, of not being successful motivated me to ride really hard, and, and I had no trouble at all getting across Iowa both times. We'll be right back with Nan after this short station break. You are listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network, which airs our weekly show now on Wednesdays in the afternoon at 3 p.m. until 4 p.m. Pacific Time, and that is for Eastern Time, 6 p.m. until 7.30 p.m. Connect anytime, any week during those hours, and you will hear the most remarkable stories about what people are doing to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. If you have not already signed up to receive your free newsletter from Parkinson's Recovery, be sure to do so because next week I'm releasing the November issue of the Parkinson's Recovery magazine. The lead article in the magazine is an article written by professional dancer Pamela Quinn. Many of you might have remembered that Pamela was a guest on my show last month with remarkable stories about what she's doing and the work uh, that she does in New York City. Pamela talks about the World 
Parkinson's Congress uh, that was held just last month and has some revolutionary ideas for you to consider. So be sure to sign up for the free newsletter, and to do that, you simply go to the main website. That's www.parkinsonsrecovery.com. You'll see a place there to place your email address, and that will ensure that you'll get your copy of the November issue of the Parkinson's Recovery magazine. You can call in and ask Nan any question you'd like and talk with her during the show. So you're listening to a pre-recorded discussion, but she's also here online and live. And to be able to call in and talk with her, that number is toll-free, 877-590-0733. In the symptoms, Nan, that you described that emerged back uh, in 08 and before then, you described some issues and challenges with mental clarity which were particularly perplexing and upsetting given that you're an academic and had experience as an anthropologist at the University of Washington. Tell us about how that shifted as a result of your biking experiences. Well, I, I think that the the most clear story is when um, I went to a party a couple years ago, uh, or a, a year ago, and um, a couple years ago, and was trying to talk with various friends about issues or whatever, and I could not follow the conversations. It just it was a bunch of babble to me. And then I went to the same party this past fall, and was talking with our hostess, who happens to be a Stanford economist. And we spent an hour talking about economies of the world and various issues and political and, you know, interrelated educational issues, the whole thing. Uh, and, and at the end of it, I said, you know, Evelyn, um, I don't think you would probably remember me at this party a couple of years ago, but, uh, you know, this fact that I could have this conversation with you now is just uh, absolutely startling and wonderful. So we hugged. Ah, what a wonderful revelation. Many people may be thinking, well, I'm currently experiencing the Parkinson's. I've never ridden a bike more than 30 miles in any one day or week. I certainly wouldn't be able to participate in Rag Bride, which is the race across Iowa, because I'm not Iowan. Do you have to be Iowan to participate in the race? No, it's not a race. It's a ride. I should say ride. Yeah, because, God help us, we weren't racing. Um, and you don't need to be Iowan. There are people from all over the world actually come for this uh, particular ride. And you don't even have to have that kind of a goal as a ride. It's, it's uh, setting your own personal goals, and meeting your own personal goals is what's important. Uh, we're here in Seattle now. John Carlin is here from Denver, and uh, Dr. Alberts is coming in in a couple of hours with his family for a HOPE conference, a Parkinson's HOPE conference. And we're, we gathered together. Um, because Jay is a keynote speaker for this conference, but we gathered together to try to figure out, okay, how can we make this program accessible to the average person with Parkinson's? You know, not everybody's going to get on the bike, like you say, or, or have access to the bike, either a stationary bike or a road bike on a trainer or a road bike just on the road, or certainly not to a tandem. So how can we set this program up so that people can learn how to ride a bike properly um, they can develop the stamina, they can develop, develop the ability to hold the cadence between 80 and 90 RPM, which sounds terrible, but you lower the resistance and it's not that hard to twirl your legs around. Um, 
but how can we make this really accessible to patients? And we realize that starting with a tandem program is important for eight to ten weeks, uh, but then how to move them into a sustainable um, lifestyle. This is a whole change in lifestyle. I mean, I'll be pedaling my bike, you know, if I turn 90 years old, I'll probably still be sitting on a stationary bike because if I stop pedaling, the symptoms will come back. That's There's no question about that. So it's a, it's a whole lifestyle commitment. Um, and so John and uh, myself, my husband, Jay, uh, we're all sitting here trying to figure out how to make this sustainable. So working through YMCAs or health clubs or you know, other organizations who can provide stationary bikes uh, to help the Parkinson's patient. And we're getting there. We don't have a full package yet, but I think by the end of this weekend we'll be in better shape than we were ex- right now. How exciting. For listeners, uh, you can hear a full interview with Dr. Jay Alberts. I aired a radio show with him a year ago where he talked about his research and the current state of what he had actually discovered. And so be sure to listen to that to get even more enthusiastic about the potential for what biking can do for you. Seattle can get a bit dreary, particularly in the wintertime. It sounds like when you say biking, then, you don't necessarily mean that you go outside and get on a bike and travel down roadways. It sounds like that might be part of it, but also it's it's using a stationary bike. Do I understand that correctly? You've got that right, Robert. Um, I have my road bike, which is a good road bike, and I like to be outside as much as possible. But you're right about Seattle, although today's sunny, tomorrow is going to rain again. Uh, I have a, a bike trainer, which is a Cyclops magnetic trainer that I got off of Craigslist. Um, and I just put the rear wheel of my bike on that trainer and the front wheel on a brace and I can sit there with my little iPod playing music or do whatever I want, watch TV or whatever, and uh, pedal away. Just I sit down in the basement and just pedal away. And we're talking about actually getting a stationary bike um, from uh, one that's being donated and putting it down there, too, so people who are newly diagnosed with Parkinson's can come and cycle with me, and I can be on my bike in the trainer, and the other person can be on the stationary bike, and I can teach them how to bike and, and encourage them and get them past that first step of uh, knowing how to ride a bike. How does a person know that they're biking at the 80 RPM that you mentioned uh, Jay has discovered is the the speed which seems to be most useful for people with the symptoms of Parkinson's? There are little gadgets called cadence meters that you uh, put on your bike. And it has a little readout, so I'm riding along, and I wear a heart rate monitor around my chest, and it shows me what my heart rate is on one side of the little cadence thing, and the other side it shows how quickly I'm pedaling. You described a uh, an idea or a concept or a plan that you're going to be fleshing out this weekend with uh, Dr. Alberts and John Carlin about exactly how this ought to work out. And in the sketch of that, you mentioned the first eight to ten weeks should be a tandem bike. That means a tandem is a bike where one person is in the front and a second person is in the back. And you described the front person is described as the captain or the person who is athletically able. The person on the back is a person who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's. Do I understand that correctly? You've got it right. The back person is called the stoker. So you've got the captain and the stoker. And... uh 
they, the front person is, is a stronger cyclist and can maintain that 80 to 90 RPM cadence. The other plan that's in the works, though, is this idea of having uh, an extra bike in, in my basement and not working as a tandem, just working side by side and having me coach the person as we go. So that's a, sort of another uh, option, another kind of plan that we're going to try. That might be basically you would be a physical trainer of sorts yeah, and help exactly. people work through, especially individuals who are thinking, I could never do this because I'm in a situation where my symptoms are so advanced I can't even get started. So what you're saying is, wait a minute, of course you can, and I'll be able to help you uh, figure out what you need to do in order to get on the road to recovery. The one phrase you used uh, that I would disagree with, Robert, is the of course you can, because not everybody can. Um, if people have cardio problems, then, you know, I would not want them down my basement having a heart attack. Um, <clears throat> so there are certain limitations that people should take into account. Um, if they're really, really advanced in their Parkinson's, say uh, they're in a wheelchair the whole time, or, you know, stage four, um, I, I think that that would be a little unrealistic that they could do that. Certainly for anybody who's newly diagnosed, uh, level one, level two, probably even level three, <clears throat> We've got one level three woman in uh, the second phase of the pilot program. She's had DBS surgery four different times because she had a broken electrode, infection, whatever, and she had never been on a bike before in her life. She's from uh, India, had never been in pants before in her life. And this woman, uh, I cycled with her yesterday, and she was wheeling around at 80 to 90 RPM for a full hour, breaking a sweat. Um, doing just great. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And she's she's the most disabled person that I've worked with so far. And if Shelly can do it, you know, <laughs> anybody ought to, you know, you think anybody ought to be able to do it. But you know, there are some limitations. In terms of expectations, you mentioned that you really were working uh, for. Uh, a while, three or four weeks with biking before you really noticed uh, and was aware of the significant improvement. When you were working with this particular individual and she worked up that incredible sweat after an hour, did she uh, notice or acknowledge or did you notice or acknowledge an improvement in her symptoms even after just an hour? Well, these the, the group that's in the tandem program was going uh, three times a week with a 10-minute warm-up, 40-minute uh, at at the cadence, and 10-minute cool-down. So they were doing much less than I was doing when I was preparing for RAGBRAI that first time around. Um, she has lost a lot of weight. She's stabilized. Uh, her cycling is smooth and, and continuous. Um, her mental outlook, all of them, their mental outlook is just way different than when they started. It's just an amazing transformation in their, their mental attitude. Um, with the four patients who've been through the whole program, uh, they're walking better. Their, um, you know, their, their physical affect is definitely improved. I can see that just because I was the one who chose them the first time around. I interviewed them and saw them. Uh, one woman was very, very uh, depressed, and now she's just ecstatic. She's just, uh, it was just a total life-changing thing for all of them, actually. When you consult with the uh, hospitals who are setting up these programs, uh, how exactly is the program set up? That is, what equipment are hospitals getting in order to make this happen? They, uh, if they're doing a tandem program, they obviously need tandems, and that's uh, anywhere from buying them to having them donated or buying them used. That, so 
so they need that. They need to have the cadence monitors on the bikes. Uh, each patient needs to have a heart rate monitor. They need to have a mat that goes underneath the bike because people sweat and drip. Uh, they need water cages and water bottles because you should be drinking quite a bit while you're doing this cycling. Um, oh, yeah, they need biking. <laughs> bike, uh, John is sitting over here saying shorts. Yeah, they need biking pants uh, that are padded because a lot of people have not been sitting on a bike for a long time. And one of the bikes is named Happy Butt. You know, you know, that's Shelly's bike because you know she's never been on a bike before. It was pretty tough for her. Um, they don't need special biking shoes; just tennis shoes are fine because we just use uh, you know straps for. We don't have clip-in uh, pedals; we just have cages on the pedals. Um, so that's uh, let's see; that's pretty much the equipment that they need. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, they need to have a space to do it in. Uh, it's helpful to have music, but not. Um, spin club music, you don't want it so loud that people can't talk to each other. You need to be able to talk to each other. Um, you need to have some sort of a, a person who knows something about first aid or, or, you know, if somebody has an event, you want to have somebody there who can respond to that event. Um, yeah, that's, it, it's not too tough, really. You need to keep the people at the right cadence. <laughs> And uh, you need to make sure that their heart rate is within the right zone. And since they have a heart rate monitor on, they can look at their own wrist and see, you know, how that's going. The hospitals then have actually designated a special room where this equipment is located and special times where people can actually do the exercising with the bikes. Is that right? They, yeah, they have to have a special room because the bikes are a pretty good size, and so they're they're not easily trucked around for storage. Oh, they they also need to have excuse me, they need to have a bike trainer. The thing that their rear wheel sticks on, and they need to have the uh, uh, brace at the front so the bike doesn't fall over. And then I assume um, that the hospitals uh, have some charge uh, per hour or per session for people who are doing the bicycle exercising? You know, we've been really fortunate on that so far, Robert. Um, they, the first hospital decided they would charge them $5 an hour for their classes, so they would have to pay, I think it was $140, $120 up front for the eight-week classes. And then they said, well, this is a pilot, so we shouldn't be charging you because we're learning from you. So they gave them their money back. Um, that was pretty darn nice. Um, then the second phase of the program has this, the uh, first four people at the local YMCA, and the YMCA has given them free passes for using their cycles. Um, so they're not paying anything. They don't have to belong to the YMCA or anything. They're just saying this is a, a wonderful community service that we can provide. Isn't that fabulous? It really is incredible. So the patients, you know, they're not having to pay for it and uh, so far. And it may be that they will have to pay for it. Even with the bikes, um, the response to this program has been great. I, I contacted the shop that made my bike and talked to the owner and he made tandem bikes for us at cost and these bikes are like five thousand dollars a piece if you buy them and then they were twenty one hundred dollars a piece hand custom made just for us wow so yeah. other bikes can cost as much as five thousand dollars oh they can cost as much as fifty thousand dollars if you really want to get into it but we're not lance armstrong here so. <laughs> um you know, you can get them off of Craigslist. I actually had somebody um, uh, send me an email and say he wanted to donate a tandem. Wow. Fa people are fabulous. I mean, yeah. just, uh, the biking world is 
so excited to be able to help with this program. It's like, wow. And almost everybody knows somebody who's got Parkinson's. So even I was in a locker room yesterday, and I was talking from inside the changing room to the woman who was standing outside, and somebody else was overhearing and sort of butted in on the conversation. By the time we finished, she had the peddlingforparkinsons.org website, and her friend was going to contact me. And, uh, you know, I was just... She said, this is fabulous. This is absolutely amazing. And that happens to me all the time. Not in locker rooms, but uh, wherever I go. Now, the website that you just mentioned, is that yours or Jay's, or whose website is that, Peddling for Parkinson's? That's Jay's website. It's Peddling for Parkinson's with no apostrophe. So do you, would you like org. to spell that for people slowly? Because I know many people will want to visit that right now. Sure. P E D A L I N G F O R P A R K I N S O N S dot O R G. We'll be so right back. For Parkinson's is all one word. All one word. We'll be yeah. right back with Nan after this short station break. I have been doing this uh, radio show now since April of 2009. I'm Robert Rogers, and you're connected to Parkinson's Recovery. I just noticed that a listing on iTunes of all of the shows shows that we've now got 85 previous shows that have been aired. You can listen to any of the previously aired shows in two ways. First, you can visit the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network page. You get there in an easy way. All you have to do is go to the main website, which is parkinsonsrecovery.com. If you forget that, all you have to remember happens to be two words. The first word is Parkinson's, and the second word is recovery. Place those two words in any search engine, and when you see the listing of results, the top result will be parkinsonsrecovery.com. That is my website. Go there, and you'll see at the bottom there's a link to something called Blog Talk Radio. Simply click on that, and that will take you to the radio program page. You'll see a rich description of the various shows, and you can download any of the previously aired shows from that radio program page. Be sure to scroll to the very bottom because you'll see a little word that says previous. That basically means click on that, and you'll get the previous month's shows. As you can well imagine, you have to click, keep clicking previous because I've been doing the show for so long, there are a number of shows that are listed on the radio show page. You can get a more succinct listing of all of the shows if you actually go to iTunes, I-T-U-N-E-S dot com. When you go to the main iTunes website, simply in that search field, type in the same two words, the word Parkinson's and the word recovery, and you'll see there uh, that what comes up is Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. Click on that, and you'll see the full listing of all 85 shows. You can download any of those shows for free. My idea is you can simply download the program and begin your tandem bike or forced exercise bike experience listening to any of the radio shows so that you can basically do two things at the same time. 
some people have told me that it's been difficult for them to listen to some of the shows when they go to the Blog Talk radio show page, but they're not having difficulty when they go to iTunes. So if you happen to be a person who's been challenged with being able to listen to the previous programs when you download them from the radio show page, try iTunes and see if you can't download them there and get a clearer recording of the interviews, not only my voice, but the voice of the person that I'm actually interviewing. Next week, the show is going to be with John Carlin. I actually had John on a show about a year ago. A year ago, he was doing incredibly well and talked about the many different types of things that he was doing with regard to therapies and approaches that were helping him feel better. John gives us an update on how he is doing today, and I can give you a little hint about that. He just returned from a two-week vacation to Italy where he had an absolutely marvelous time. So John gives us the scoop, the detail, and everything that he's been doing here in the last year that's making a huge difference in his own life. Two weeks from today on the 24th of November at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time, I will be airing an interview with pharmacist and and nutritional counselor Randy Mincer. I just finished recording that interview with Randy today, and I'm here to tell you that it is a remarkable story of what happened to him personally and the challenges that he has personally confronted, and he has some remarkable suggestions for anyone that happens to be confronting currently neurological symptoms that are like the symptoms that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. If you'd like to be able to talk or with Nan or ask her questions, now's a good time to be able to do that. You can call toll-free the following number, 877-590-0733. I'll connect you in, and you'll be able to ask her whatever you'd like to ask her. Now we return to the previously recorded third segment of my interview with Nan. Nan, you have been an anthropologist at the University of Washington, so your career so far has involved extensive research that is anthropologically oriented. It feels a bit like I'm wondering whether or not the work that you're currently entering into, the work of helping people in hospitals and nursing homes and uh, other kind of exercise uh, uh, organizations uh, figure out how to set up these kinds of systems for individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's is related somehow to the work that you've done before, the anthropological research you've done before. Is there a connection between the two? Well, I'd have to take you back a step further, I think, Robert. Um, before I was an anthropologist, I did a lot of work with nonprofits. I actually worked for the YMCA and was one of the founders of the YMCA Earth Service Corps. So that involved setting up nonprofit. Uh, before that, I worked with the court system and helped establish the National Court-Appointed Special Advocates Association. So I served on the national board for that program as well and helped uh, establish programs around the country and in different countries. So working with those two organizations uh, helped me understand a great deal about establishing nonprofits and spreading the word, starting as something small in one place and moving 
uh, added on to a grander scale. So doing a pilot uh, program, working out the bugs, and then taking it to a larger program. As an anthropologist at the University of Washington, I worked with Native American tribes on science education with Native Americans. So I was working to develop programs that uh, could help prepare Native American students, high school students, to be ready in math and science to be able to go on to college and uh, be successful and, and be able to stay at college. So again, it was the same sort of idea of starting up a pilot, working with specific tribes, uh, trying to figure out what worked and what didn't work, and then uh, moving it on to a larger um, format, a larger, many more tribes involved, for example. So. Uh, all of the kind of things that I'd done had been associated with starting a pilot and then expanding the pilot to a larger population. So when I retired from the university in 2003, it was sort of like, okay, now I'm going to go fly fishing and tie flies and, and uh, make quilts, which are <laughs> things that I like to do. Yeah. And then uh, Parkinson's came along and said, whoops, uh, your skills are needed in this venue, so you better... Uh, drag out your skills again, and it's it, starting up these uh, programs for peddling for Parkinson's is, you know, just sort of another iteration of the things that I've done for years and years. Um, this is pretty familiar territory for me. I've never worked with hospitals before, but it's uh, you know not like not unlike working with Indian tribes or um, court systems or whatever. The, everybody has their own culture. You have to respect the cultures that. Uh, that you're working with, and you have to realize that you have a common goal. Uh, focus on the people with Parkinson's. That's the bottom line. Um, make sure you're not emphasizing, you know, the hospital over the people with Parkinson's or the peddling for Parkinson's over the people. You know, people with Parkinson's are at the center of this whole issue. And as long as every decision you make focuses on what's in the best interest of the people with Parkinson's, you're going to be home free. Um, you start focusing on something else, then you're going to get lost. Part of your does work, that make sense? It does indeed, and part of your work as an anthropologist was clearly to help those students stay at being in school and being at college, and it sounds like it's the same case with the work that you're doing now. It's partly a question of getting people jump-started to actually doing the exercising, but then the other question is how do you encourage people to stay with it? Well, what's the alternative? I mean, I when I interview people for a program or, you know, for this particular program, I say, what do you want 5, 10, 15 years from now in your life, or what do you don't want? And I remember one woman saying, what I, I'm most terrified of is being in a nursing home, and other people saying, I really want to be able to play with my grandkids who aren't even born yet. And, uh, and you have a whole variety of answers of what people want or don't want. Some people will say, I don't have time. I say, you know, how much more time are you going to have when you're in a wheelchair? <laughs> so, um, uh, the, uh, what's the alternative? I mean, what's the downside as a starter? You're going to get more fit. You're going to be more healthy. Even if your symptoms don't substantially dis uh, diminish, you're going to be, uh, you're going to have a much better uh, mental outlook, and, and certainly, you know, you're going to be in better shape. I had one woman who who just had a terrible thing. Parkinson's was just one minor thing in her life, as a matter of fact, and she was maybe 50 pounds overweight. She just didn't have time. And I said, do you have a stationary bike? Yes, she did. I said, do you watch the news? Yes, I do. Can you sit on your stationary bike and watch the news? Yes, I can. And she started to feel like she had some control over her life. 
I think that's the huge issue with all of us is that you get this diagnosis of Parkinson's and and all of a sudden you feel like you're sliding down a slippery slope. You've got no control. This is inexorable. It's just going to happen. And all of a sudden you see this pedaling for Parkinson's and it's like somebody gave you an ice axe and you can whack it into that ice wall and stop sliding down the slippery slope. Um, that's pretty good motivation, the sense of being able to have control over your life again. I think one of the other things, Robert, that uh, um, is, is a real motivating factor for me is uh, when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, it was like my husband was transformed from being my spouse to being my caregiver. And, you know, I, that just does not appeal to me at all. I want a spouse. I don't want a caregiver. Um, he's helpful on every step of the way. He's a wonderful support system. But uh, I don't really like to think of him as a caregiver. I want I want my spouse as long as possible. It sounds like you've gotten your spouse back, too. <laughs> oh, my spouse has never left. He, he just, he was great. He said right off the bat, I said, you know, I, when it comes time to... Uh, you know, put me in a nursing home or whatever. This is the day after I was diagnosed. Uh, he said, um, I, I said, just, you know, don't hesitate because you've got a life to live too. And he looked at me with a completely straight face and said, yeah, I've already thought about that. I've decided to advertise for another partner on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, we've, we've defined our relationship in a different way. Here, you know, um, he's, there's no question of abandonment. <laughs> no question really? whatsoever. Now he's, he's just absolutely fabulous. Well, pretty clear. He's also saying today, I'm your husband, not your caregiver. <laughs> so well, a- you know, we just returned from five and a half weeks of a fly fishing trip out west here. And, uh, you know, I climb over the rocks with uh, sure-footedness and, and uh, catch fish. And, and he supports me if I need it. If I'm stuck in the middle of the river, he'll come out and fetch me. But other than that, uh, you know, he, he just presumes that I can do things unless I call for help. You've been participating in Rag Pride, the race, or I shouldn't say race, but the uh, ride. ride across Iowa now for two straight years. Will you be doing it this next year? No, I will not. Um, I've been asked, uh, John and I have both been asked to climb Mount Kilimanjaro at the same time next year. From July 10th to the 24th, uh, we're going to be part of a PDMS climb, and I understand there will be a, a film crew going along with to, to make a documentary film uh, on this particular climb. So that's what we'll be doing instead of Ragbri. Now, John tells me he'll come home and uh, do the last half of Ragbri, and I'm thinking, man, what a hero he is. But uh, I, I don't think I'll, I think I'll come home and say, man, I just climbed a mountain. I guess I don't need to ride across the state, too. But maybe I will. But I doubt it. So we're going to get to be able to see a DVD or a documentary of you as well as John climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, we won't do the climb until July of 2011, so I don't think we're going to sign up for the documentary viewing just yet. Well, not not currently, but we will soon be able to actually see that. And who's doing the documentary? I, I'm not really sure. They said a was a PBS film crew or something like that, I think. Something like that. We're we're a little vague on that. The actual uh, the doctor who's going with us and uh, the physical therapist who's going with us who actually asked us to go in the first place are coming to dinner tonight. So we'll find out a lot more about the client tonight. Uh, is uh, Jay Alberts going too? No, he's going to be doing rag bry. Oh, right. <laughs> after all, he is from Iowa, so he's got well, to go back you know, home. He, he's got these fifty people who are going to be signed up to ride their bikes across Iowa. In the in the ride across Iowa, we had. Uh, 55 people in our group 
and four of us had Parkinson's, so it wasn't like a whole lot of people with Parkinson's going across the state. If people go to the website, will they be able to get information about that ride for next summer? Um, well, you can go to a RAGBRAI website, R-A-G-B-R-A-I, and that will send you to the main website. If you go to pedalingforparkinsons.org, uh, um, you'll see our stories about the ride, John's blog, Nan's blog, other people's blogs. Uh, so you get a real sense for the ride. If you hit Nan's blog, it'll take you to my webpage and give you more information than you ever want to know uh, about Parkinson's and starting a program and rag Brian, my dog, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. One of my hopes and wishes is that people who are hesitant to begin riding bikes will consider the uh, possibility that they can download the radio shows and listen to them when they ride their bike. There you go, Robert. <laughs> Good we, idea. We've got shows for the last couple of years, uh, so they can uh, download my interview with uh, Dr. Jay Alberts from a year ago, and they can listen not only to the interview that we're doing here today, and not only uh, listen to the interview with John Carlin, but also the interview with Jay Alberts, and they can get incredible information and ideas about what they can do for themselves to get incredible relief from the symptoms they're currently experiencing. Can you put those shows to a beat so it's easier to pedal? That's a great idea. I should do that. <laughs> I should find somebody that can uh, can add the right beat that will make sure that they pedal to that 80 RPMs. There you and, go. Uh, boy, we'd be we'd we'd have a home run there. There's no doubt about super. it. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Now, the important question I need to ask you, Nan, is what about people who, let's say, live in New York City or San Francisco or Chicago, and they're thinking, I'd like to call Nan. I'm, I'd like to be able to get some assistance in setting up a program in hospitals in my local city. Can people contact you who don't live in Seattle and get some advice and help? Sure. My, uh, my email address is nan, N-A-N, dot little, L-I-T-T-L-E, at comcast.net. And people are, uh, if you go to that peddlingforparkinsons.org webpage and, and hit on Nan's blog at the end of the introduction thing, it has that email address too. And people are more than welcome to contact me. There's also a section on that, uh, on my webpage on how to start a program. So some of this information is, is, uh, right there on the webpage too. But, uh, I really encourage people to contact me and they do from all over the place. So people can first see the sketch of how you start a program, and then they're obviously going to have additional questions, so they can sure. call you. And it could be also the case that hospitals can call you or nursing homes or physical therapy or health clinics. They can call you as well. Right. I'm giving you my email address instead of my phone number because I'm uh, here and there. And, uh, you know, if it's appropriate to call, then we'll call. But we'll start out with an email. The audience of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show is large. Some of the people who are listening to this show today are going to be newly diagnosed. And by that I mean they might have just heard from their neurologist that they have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. What would you like to say to a listener who has just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease today? But there's hope that this is not the death sentence that it was a few years, even just a few years ago, that they can, they start out feeling this emotional shock and feeling like they have no choices. If they're like me, they looked at videos of people with Parkinson's and sat there and cried and said, that's where I'm going to be in a few years. 
that that's not necessarily the case, especially for the newly diagnosed. If they are willing to get on a bike, uh, they can slow, remediate their symptoms. Uh, every single person I've worked with so far has had symptoms remediated through this pedaling program. Um, that's not to say it's a guarantee, and it's not going to cure your Parkinson's, but it, it can give you this sense of control that is huge. It's just uh, you go from no light at the end of the tunnel to big, broad daylight at the end of that tunnel, and, and you're in control, which is, to me, that's uh, a very, very important part of my life. It sounds like then the one guaranteed outcome is improved health on some level. I, I, I wouldn't guarantee anything for anybody. Uh, this is way too new to make any guarantees, but the likelihood is very strong. Nancy. And certainly for the new, newly diagnosed, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the way to go. Right. Is there anything else that we haven't covered, Dan, that you'd like to be sure and mention? Hmm. Just don't hesitate to contact me or contact anybody on the Pedaling for Parkinson's, uh, dot org website. Uh, don't be shy. We're, we're more than happy to help. It's It feels like... You know, I've had all this education and all this experience in life, and it's all kind of come together uh, for me in this Pedaling for Parkinson's program. It's like, okay, you were set up to do something terrific to help other people in this way. And, and it's happening and, and now. And very it's happening, clear. and you're helping it happen, Robert. Yeah, Appreciate it's, it. it's happening now. And I will do everything I can do to make sure that the word gets out to people so that uh, more and more people can realize there is, in fact, hope. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today, Nan. Well, thanks so much for calling me, Robert. I appreciate it so much. Nan is here live, and if you'd like to be able to talk with her or ask her questions, now's the time to call the toll-free number, 877-590-0733. I have a couple of updates on research projects that Parkinson's Recovery has been supportive of. First, I received some correspondence and a phone call from the physicians at Rush Medical uh, Center in Chicago. They have been sponsoring a study of vibration therapy using the Smart Lounge, which is made by NextNero. They have been recruiting patients in the Chicago area to receive these smart lounges for a 30-day period, and their commitment is to go to Rush, have some diagnostics done, and to also ride this vibration uh, smart lounge three times a week. The last patient was signed up today, so there's no longer, I'm afraid, any opportunity for you to participate, but they will be issuing the final results of their study in January. There have been several news reports across the United States. I've received the links to those. The doctors are already talking about the results, and they are incredibly promising. So you're going to hear more about that, and I will be interviewing Dr. Christopher Gotts, who uh, is the pioneer uh, researcher in this particular uh, endeavor, uh, to find out from him what it is that they've actually discovered in the research that they've done. The second study that uh, we've been uh, aggressively sponsoring is a music medicine study that's sponsored by Dr. Suzanne Jonas. 
and she uh, has recruited a number of individuals to l essentially listen to some music medicine CDs specifically for individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's. This particular CD is prescribed by physicians in Europe and it costs $350, but they don't have much experience with people on this side of the world who've actually used this as a therapy. So instead of medicine by mouth, this is medicine by ear. And I heard uh, from Suzanne just uh, several days ago, she apparently still has uh, two uh, CDs available to distribute for individuals who would like to participate in the study. You, as I recall, have to pay the modest sum of $50 for the CDs, but again, they cost $350 in Europe, and you do have to incur the obligation of filling out some feedback forms and some results and communicate your experience with this so that she can summarize those results. And of course, we will be having uh, Dr. Jonas on a future program where she will be reporting back to us on the results that people report from actually getting medicine by ear through listening to these music uh, medicine CDs. That's a particular study that's been done actually in Europe, and they've had outstanding results, and essentially they're seeing if they can replicate it with individuals that uh, not only live in either Canada or the United States or this part of the world, uh, but also individuals that happen to currently be experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's. So she's almost at the end of that study, but again, she still has two CDs left. You can listen to uh, the shows that I have aired with Dr. Suzanne Jones by simply scrolling back on the radio show page. And if you're interested, you can get a lot more information about why this is such a powerful, such a safe, and such a natural therapy. And what we're guessing is that the results are going to uh, reveal exciting uh, findings with regard to what just listening to these CDs can do for a person's overall health and wellness. So two CDs still left. Uh, it would be a time to ju jump on that opportunity if you're interested in being one of her research subjects for her particular study. Again, if you'd like to be able to talk or ask uh, Nan any questions, you can call our toll-free number, and that's 877-590-0733. I see uh, that there's no one yet flagged to be able to talk with her, so that gives me an opportunity, Nan, to say thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. And the question I really uh, want to ask you is, having now listened to everything that you discussed uh, in the previous conversations, what would you like to be sure and add? Well, I think we covered a lot, but uh, the credit for knowing about this is uh, due to Dr. Jay Alberts from the Cleveland Clinic. Without him, my life would be going in an entirely different direction. Uh, it's really important that would be point one. Point two would be it's really important to keep that cadence between 80 and 90 RPM, even though you feel like maybe you could pedal at 125 or something like that. The cadence is important to maintain between 80 and 90 RPM. You can go up to 95 or whatever, but not to overdo and to keep your heart rate between 60 and 80% of your maximum heart rate. Those are really important parts of doing this program. 
you had an opportunity to have some further discussions with Dr. Alberts as well as John Carlin over this past weekend. Did you have any revelations as a result of those discussions? I think the most important thing um, that we realized is that this is not just an eight-week program. This is a a changing your lifestyle program. Uh, If I stop biking, the symptoms will come back. If any of us stop biking, the symptoms will come back. It might take a few weeks, but uh, we'll go downhill. And so this is a whole lifestyle change and a lifestyle commitment. Maybe by keeping these symptoms at bay, uh, we'll sort of bide enough time so they can find some actual cures for Parkinson's. Maybe, maybe not, but at least we've extended our uh, ability to live full lives uh, for quite a bit longer than we would have had we just relied on medicines alone. Have you had an opportunity to do an on-and-off experiment where you're actually not biking for a while and have been able to observe a degradation in symptoms, and then when you started biking, you were able to observe that those symptoms resolved? I find that whenever I'm anxious about anything, uh, if I just get on the bike within five or ten minutes, my anxiety level goes way, way down. I'm okay again. Uh, we've been on a trip, on a fly fishing trip, and, and some days I'm not able to bike. I, I usually try to bike about five days a week uh, for at least an hour if I'm on the, the uh, bike trainer. Um, so there were some times when I'd have to go three or four days without biking, and I definitely noticed that I wasn't feeling as well as I had been feeling before. And You know, I would say, well, I'm just tired because I've been out in the river for a long time or something like that. But uh, it's very definitely... A, yeah, quick change in the moment that I get on the bike. Well, wow, what a natural experiment in terms of revealing the power of what this can actually do for you. Do you have any problems motivating yourself to do this on a regular basis when you're at home? Well, the alternative is <laughs> really crummy. <laughs> you know, if you don't bike, you know you're going to feel badly and uh, uh, you're just going to feel sick. So, the motivation is I keep fit, I'm healthy, I can do the things that I enjoy doing, I can communicate with a reasonable level of sensitivity and, and the clarity. Uh, without the biking, um, I'm just a, a much more diminished person. So that's a pretty good motivation right there. Sometimes uh, if I just am feeling down or low or sad about something, I'll call my husband and and uh, he'll just say, get on your bike. <laughs> you know, no, poor you about it. It's just get on your bike. And, and sure enough, I get on the <laughs> bike. And five right? later, I'm okay. You know, he's pretty pretty uh, pragmatic about it. He knows what the bike will do. And uh, he'll know that sometimes it's hard for me to, even though I know that it's going to help, I just look at that bed and say, oh, man, I'd much rather curl up on the bed and just take a little nap or do something, you know, that isn't worth much. Uh, and if I get on the bike, I'm going to have energy. I'm going to feel fine. So uh, that's what I do. For you, does it matter a lot whether or not you bike first thing in the morning, midday, or later on in the day? I try to bike earlier in the morning. It just uh, sort of charges my batteries for the day. But if I can't, then I'll bike in the afternoon or uh, not too often in the evening. But if if that's the time that's available, that's the time that's available. Um, I just try to get it in. You mentioned there is a website where you've got some considerable detail about uh, this particular program. Can you repeat what that website is for people again? That's pedalingforparkinsons.org, and it's P-E-D-A-L-I-N-G, 
for Parkinson's.org, no apostrophe S. And if individuals are interested in pursuing this in their own local communities and talking to, uh, for example, hospitals and setting up programs, you're more than happy to uh, provide assistance and uh, and consultancy uh, to help them out. Right. Um, One other thing I should point out is that uh, there are no fees charged for that. This is all volunteer activity. Uh, at one point, Jay looked at me, and he he thanked me for all the work that I do, and I just looked at him, and I said, you gave me back my life. Anything I can do is, is small potatoes compared to that. So um, all this consultancy and stuff is free. If, if anybody wants me to fly anywhere or something like that, then an airplane ticket would be appreciated. But um, and I just really feel like I've got a responsibility to share this information and this experience and the how-tos with as many people as possible. You've been an academic and a writer your entire life. Are you going to be writing up information for people about your experience and how to set this up if somebody's interested? Well, actually, uh, we'll see how it goes, but I started writing a book on it. So many, many people have said, please write a book, because so many uh, books about Parkinson's are are about uh, change your attitude and have hope, Um but they they're basically just saying uh know that there is no there's not really going to be a change in your a positive change in your physical health it's going to go downhill no matter what so attitude is what you can work on and have hope that they'll find a cure that's all well and good but i i really feel strongly that action is uh not only possible but uh will probably make a huge difference in your life so um that's the bent that i'm taking in, in my writing and it clearly has made a huge impact on on your life. Oh, absolutely. And that of everybody that I know who's who's tried it. Uh, when we went to the Hope Conference here in Seattle last weekend, uh, Jay was the keynote speaker for 700 people. And all of the people who were in the pilot program for uh, the hospital here were in attendance at that conference. And he was saying, which was very true, that uh, he had never seen so many Parkinson's patients pedaling so fast in one place in his life. I mean, he went out and visited the programs while he was here, and, and it was just great. I mean, these people were whirling away at 80 to 90 RPM and not having any trouble doing it, and they'd all experienced really strong signs of recovery. So, um, you know, the proof was just sitting right there in front of them. It was pretty exciting. People, of course, are listening to you talk now, Nan, but if they had an opportunity to actually see you, for example, with your husband, would it be evident that you have any symptoms that are associated with Parkinson's right now? That's a pretty funny thing. If I'm anxious about something, my hand will shake a little bit. I take my medicine at night instead of in the morning because if I take it in the morning, then by nighttime uh, the tremor is enough to sometimes keep me awake. So late evening, uh, there might be more of a tremor than um, early in the morning because I'm at the end of my medicine cycle. Uh, I don't think anybody would know that I have Parkinson's unless I tell them. And I want to confirm that that is definitely the case, Nan. I I had the opportunity to meet you at the HOPE conference uh, this past weekend, and uh, there was really no evidence whatsoever uh, that any of the symptoms were uh, present, certainly in any mobility of yours or in any other way. And 
your your cognitive abilities are about as sharp as anybody I've ever encountered. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that some challenges with that back when uh, all of this first emerged, but that, that's clearly been uh, resolved. I'm a very fortunate person. Yeah, it's quite re- it's a remarkable story. It really is. Well, we don't have anyone who has called in and at this point would like to be able to talk with you. So is there anything else that you'd like to be sure and add to the incredible story of recovery that you've already told? Um, maybe just to reiterate, I can't think of anything else that I'd like to add, but uh, how very gratifying it is that the cycling community has uh, just jumped forward to participate in this. Uh, an article appeared in the RNE Cycle magazine uh, or newsletter just a few weeks ago, and I almost immediately had contacts from people in the racing cycling community and just uh, cyclists all over the place saying that they would like to be captains for the next round of programs that we start here in Seattle. So we're trying to sort out you know, which places, uh, where to get the bikes. Uh, somebody's donated a tandem. Somebody else said they would make a tandem, a really master cycle frame maker. Um, it's just almost overwhelming. Somebody else asked if we have a nonprofit number for making donations, which, of course, we do. Uh, PFP, Pedaling for Parkinson's, is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit um, organization. So it's just uh, just out of this one little newsletter, all kinds of people have stepped forward to say we want to participate as soon as possible. Please let us know. So the help is out there for anybody who's considering starting a program and saying, well, where will we find the patients? Uh, I found them at support groups. And where will we find the uh, people to ride the front of the bikes, the captains? Uh, the cycling community is very, very pleased about this program. And where will we find the money? Again, I just uh, just posted a question, and a lot of people sent in money. Uh, it was amazing. People who had uh, friends or relatives with Parkinson's or um, just people who are cyclists who think this is a cool thing to do. Area code 303, you are on the air. Robert, John. Hi, John. So I give a call and support Nan. Well, it's good to hear your voice, John. Yeah, it's been, what, three days? At least. <laughs> good show today. It's a very good show. It Thanks. was I'll indeed, have to listen John. to you next week. <laughs> sure. That's right. Well, I just want to know oh. I'm supporting you out here on the Internet. I'm glad to hear that. I'll support you next week when it's your turn. That's um, fair. One phone call for another. Yeah. Did I miss anything, John? No, you covered it all. Um, I will say that and I think I talked about Robert about this, was that when I took those three weeks off to go to Italy, I could tell the difference. Mm-hmm. That's a, I'm a little worried about uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro next summer because we'll be climbing instead of cycling. And uh, one of my brothers wrote back and said, you ought to be the first person to ride a mountain bike up Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, but we will be exercising. Through the we'll definitely be exercising, but we won't be on our bikes. And, and uh, that's a little nagging thought at the back of my mind. Sure, I did that'll nothing. be another natural. That'll be another natural nothing. experiment where you can actually see whether or not that's going to make a huge difference or not in terms and of. And it'll be on film too. Yeah. Yeah, they'll film it. So if we fall on our faces, then there you are. But we'll be there to pick <laughs> each other up, though. That's the most important thing. That's for sure. That's no question true. about that. All right, I'll quit hogging your line and say goodbye. 
Thanks for calling in, John. We look forward to talking with you next week on the show. I'll see you guys next week, or I'll hear you guys next week. (laughs) Sounds great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And uh, for listeners, I want everyone also to know that you can participate in the Ride Across Iowa if you are interested, and you can do that by expressing your interest uh, to Jay Alberts through the website, pedalingforparkinsons.org. It's quite an experience to ride across Iowa, obviously, and apparently there are captains who are happy to volunteer. So you may think, well, I could never do that because I don't have somebody that can be on the front of a tandem. But the fact is that there are people who will volunteer, and Jay does organize the entire ride. If you're interested, it would be important for you to express that interest now, or at least within the next couple of months, since those plans are finalized in January and February, although the ride obviously doesn't happen until July or August. So why not? Robert, why not ride across uh, Iowa? Say again? Can I clarify something on that a little bit? Please, um, please do. There are about 15,000 people who ride across Iowa. The Pedaling for Parkinson's group was 55 strong this year, and of those 55, four of us had Parkinson's. So the RAGBRAI is not a ride for Parkinson's by any shape any stretch of the imagination. There are people from all different kinds of teams and places from all over the world. So um, uh, Jay has rather limited space in the Pedaling for Parkinson's group, but uh, you know it's certainly worth it to contact him to see about riding with that group. Um, it's also a little bit tricky pairing up a captain and a stoker because if they don't come from the same place, then they haven't had any practice ahead of time. So those are just a little, a few caveats to think about when you're, uh, if you're considering riding across Iowa. If you can ride on your own, on your own bike, that's uh, great. Or if you have your own captain, if you have a, if you have Parkinson's, then that works really well too. And, and clearly it's going to take, if somebody's really interested, it's going to take some uh, thought and planning, advanced planning, to be able to make that happen. If the person right. really would like to be able to do it on a tandem and uh, to get somebody to be a captain to help them out. Right. Nan, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. It was an incredible story that will have an impact on thousands of people. Well, that's wonderful to have the opportunity, Robert. I really appreciate it. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this program, that you are on the road to recovery. Have a marvelous week. And we'll see you next week, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, next Wednesday, with John Carlin. Good day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.